KaiFM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning and welcome back to another tech-filled show here, right here on KaiFM. We're going to be talking about all the latest gizmos, gadgets, and uh, some really interesting stuff. But this has been quite an interesting week. Start of the week driving a brand new car from Ford called the Ford Figo, which is their entry-level car. And I'm going to focus pretty much on the tech that goes in. And here we are talking about serious tech in a really well-priced, inexpensive, entry-level car. And it's just unbelievable how the world has changed, how you get Everything that used to be the the the, the reserve of high end fancy motor cars, you now got Bluetooth, you got uh, ABS, you've got every little tech thing you can possibly think about in a tiny little car. And what makes it even more interesting, it's a three cylinder engine. Those used to be reserved for lawn mowers, but today they now make a really cool car with a three cylinder engine. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the the news of the week, the the really crazy news of the week is all about Liberty Life. Now, there are very few of us who haven't at some level been touched by Liberty Life, have an insurance policy with them, involved with medical aids. You name it, we are connected to them at some level or the other. They're part of the huge Standard Bank Group. And as a major corporation in South Africa, they are a significant player. And this week, well, actually, in fact, last week, Thursday, they were hacked. Some geeks, and the word on the street now is that it was probably a bunch of geeks and not a professional syndicate of criminal hackers, but whatever, that actually is quite irrelevant. We sit in a world where these guys actively went for Liberty Life. They went for their systems. They they really must have worked incredibly hard to get through all the protections, all the safeguards, and everything that Liberty had in place and they hacked their mail servers. And what's worse, they held them to ransom. So Liberty Life sent out, I think it was on Saturday night, an SMS to all their people on their database to say their systems are being compromised. No one must panic. But um, information has been has been stolen by these various hackers, and they've demanded a ransom. Now, look, we live in a world where, quite honestly, it's becoming harder and harder. Money, big money at least. No one has stagecoaches riding around the streets with gold and coins and rands and dollars. Though they're blowing up our our modern stagecoaches pretty effectively all over South Africa. But again, another story. But the simple fact is that the big crime today is cybercrime. Cybercrime is pretty much everywhere. Wherever you go, um, you get warned, passwords, security, antivirus, you name it. And globally, I mean, some some reports are showing that cybercrime is a multi-billion dollar operation. It's not Mickey Mouse. It's certainly not casual. It's not just get knocked on the head and take your wallet. This is significant business. And when big companies and and the obvious to, to swing it all around, the obvious target of these guys, especially if they big offices and big companies that are are working in the cybercrime environment is certainly big companies such as Liberty Life because you can imagine the sort of cash flows and and the amounts of money that these companies are in charge of or invest and handle with so it's it's really become a huge huge business and it's an absolute cat and mouth game mouse game David Munro the CEO of Liberty and kudos to him he's come right up front 
On Sunday evening, they had a press conference where they told the press what had happened. They've engaged some significant uh, security people and IT people to look at their systems to figure out what happened. And there's just no question that we live in a completely connected world. You don't actually know where these guys are. If they have access to the Internet, they could be sitting on some little boat off some little island in in the Caribbean for all that matters. And they can connect to these systems and they can hack and they can carry around laptops with more power than uh, supercomputers of a couple of years ago. So the the – the technical aspect of hacking today has become fairly trivial, but the impact is absolutely huge. But to put things all in perspective, according to Liberty, the only thing that was hacked was their mail server. None of their core operational systems were compromised in any way. Um, there has been some talk that the hackers have said they've downloaded 40 terabytes of data um, and they're going to uh, release it bit by bit unless they've paid. At this stage, we don't know if Liberty will or won't pay or if they have or haven't paid. But whatever the case may be, this is a huge wake-up call for corporate South Africa. Now, some, some guys out there have said that corporate South Africa are way behind the curve, and they're certainly not um, as well-protected as companies around the world. But these sort of breaches ha- are happening globally on a daily basis. And the truth be told, companies like Liberty, Standard Bank, uh, FNB, all the major financial institutions and all the major corporations in this country use software from global players. So they're using software from Oracle. They're using software software from a company called Software AG. They're using software from people such as um, Oracle. You name it, so IBM. These are all massive international companies. And all these companies um, are well aware of the dangers of hacking, the dangers of compromising their systems, and they are incredibly, um, you know, careful with what they do. They're incredibly careful and certainly right up there with all the latest potential hacks, potential vulnerabilities. So my opinion is that the major corporations in South Africa are pretty much on the cutting edge of technology and technology and hacker and fraud prevention with regard to their basic systems and and platforms. That's not to say that some of them, and there have been some notable hacks around the country, that some of them have been a little remiss, have been a little lax in their their systems, and perhaps there have been, you know, glitches and and some servers not updated, etc., etc. But generally, I would say that none of us need to worry that companies as big as Liberty, Standard Bank, all the guys who deal with our cash and our insurance are not at at the very least comparable to all these companies around the world. The problem is that the nature of these hackers, they are some of the smartest people on the planet. And in fact, there's a story that in Russia, there are buildings where people get up in the morning, they get on the train, they go to work at eight o'clock, they go to work in their hacking job, they sit at their computer all day, do their thing, hack and, and figure out ways to breach systems, figure out ways to hack into multiple platforms, and then have lunch or have uh, tea and go home in the evening, just like a normal job. And across the road are the people who do all the antivirus stuff and um, try to stop these guys from making you know, inroads into their stuff. So it's a cat and mouse game, and we that's exactly where we are sitting in this regard. There's no question that Liberty had all the, the current state-of-the-art protections, and in most cases they are perfectly effective. However... The other issue, and the the report is that there may well have been an inside job, 
pretty much impossible to protect against collusion of that level. If someone inside allows access to an external party or gives the information they need to access the systems, well, there's not much anybody can do about it. But the impact on Liberty Life is massive. I mean, I know a friend who was supposed to meet with a Liberty Life advisor and uh, get some updates on his portfolio. And in light of the hack, he was really remiss to do so. He's worried. Why would he be worried? Chances are there's not going to be any impact on him at all. But if they've hacked all these emails and you're and I mean, you, you often get a request from your, your broker. Please email me your asset list. Please email me your birth certificate. Please email me all these sensitive documents. And all of those may well be in, in this hack. So I think we're going to see a lot of fallout around this over the next little while. And here's what's important for you and I. And this is what makes it really, really critical. I've said this many times on the show, and I'm going to say it again. You have to be very vigilant online. The same way as you don't take your wallet, leave it on the table in a restaurant, and just walk out. Because you can be guaranteed, you might be lucky, the waiter might pick it up and take it to the manager and they'll lock it in the safe. But generally, you have to protect your online identity, your online passwords, your online activities in the same ways as you would protect your wallet at all times. So be vigilant, be aware Be really wide awake to the fact that nobody's going to phone you and ask you for your ID number. They must give it to you if they they purport to who they to be who they say they are. This sort of social hacking, use of data, and and the sort of whole cyber crime environment is predicated on the fact that you are going to be lax with your own personal information. You're going to talk to people, give credit cards, give bank numbers to people you shouldn't be giving it to, and therein lies the huge problem. So we'll be back with some more information about that straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. Just to wrap up on the whole Liberty Life story, bottom line for most of us is we don't need to worry about our policies. We don't have to worry about our financial involvements with Liberty Life. I don't think any of us need to be too concerned about any immediate impact of any breach. However, I do believe that local companies need to be a little bit more on top of what they need to do. But here's what you and I can do about this to make sure that we don't get hurt in the process down the line. First and foremost, if you have any online activity with Liberty right now, I would change those passwords as a matter of course. And again, I would choose a password that's between 8 and 10 digits long, Um, with hashes, uppercase, lowercase, symbols, you name it, all the good stuff that you can't remember. Uh, We'll talk about that later. You need a a lovely password protection program or a password storage program. But uh, I'll make some some offers on that or some, some recommendations around that a little bit later. But change all your passwords with anything to do with liberty. And here's what's a problem. If, for example, you've used your banking password for for the Liberty Life platform, or you've used any other sensitive password again and again and again, which people, you and I, and everybody tends to do. Who wants to remember 30 passwords in a, in, in, you know, at any one point in time? But if you've reused a password in any way, shape, or form that's linked in any way to Liberty, you need to change all the passwords of every platform that you use that particular password on. That's just the first sort of hygiene thing, and it's a good thing to do. Truth be told, the experts say we should all change our passwords every couple of months, which is a major, major pain in the neck. But 
to be safe online, you've got to keep your passwords safe. So first and foremost, change all your passwords. Second of all, do not ever fall for any email emails, no matter how they purport to look, because it's trivial today. You want to create a professional-looking email sent from a, a, a Liberty Life email address? Easy peasy. Nothing wrong. You can do that. That's probably uh, hacking 101. They can send you an email that looks exactly like a Liberty Life email. And if they request anything to do with your identity documents, if they request anything to do with your banking details, if they request anything to do with your policy or that sort of detail, simply contact Liberty Life Direct, speak to your broker, speak to your agent, speak to anybody at Liberty Life um, and confirm that this is them, the person exists, the information is, is, is required, and make a plan to get it to them directly. Do not respond to emails. The same thing, if you get a phone call purporting to be from Liberty Life to update your details, to ask you for information, or from anywhere else for that matter, from any company that where you've got money invested or money involved, when they phone you and they want to ask you for something, say, not a problem. I'm going to phone my banker, I'm going to phone back and speak to someone responsible for something at that organization, but you find out the number. Don't take a number over the phone. They might say, oh, no problem, you want to phone me back? This is our number, you can phone back. And you phone back and says, hi, Liberty Life, and you feel comfortable. Could be a scam. So don't ask them for a number. Don't give any information over the phone of any sort. No information at all. Simply say, not a problem, I'll contact my broker, I'll contact Liberty Life Direct, I'll contact Standard Bank, FNB, NetBank Direct on numbers that I can pick up from their website, and I will find out exactly what needs to be done, and I will do it. Thanks so much for the call. End of story. Do not fall for these smooth-talking experts who may well not be who they purport to be. So enough of that. I think the Liberty Life breach is definitely going to bring masses of amounts of um, of information. I see there's smoke floating outside. Hopefully we're not on fire here. But anyway, our Craig, our technician, says, no, it's cool. We can sit in the studio. We don't have to worry about the flames outside. But it's hot here at uh, High FM. What can I say? So moving on from the madness of the Liberty Bell, which has been rung, and freedom of data is definitely not on the cards for you and I, we'll move on to something that's actually much, much, much cooler. And this was... Very interesting. An Israeli company came up with a system. Now, this this uh, bunch work for IBM. And um, we all hear about artificial intelligence. We all hear about how IBM supercomputers can play chess better than people can play chess, can play Go, which is a much harder game to play than, um, in fact, the most complex board game known to man, better than a human. Well, now what these guys have done They've developed an IBM supercomputer that can challenge human in a debate. Now, can you imagine debating with a computer? And one of the first demonstrations they did about this was the debate of future of medicine and the value of physical education, something that uh, I was talking about this morning. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that later. But anyway, what they did, IBM's project debater machine faced off against humans for the first time this Monday. And they took on a crack two-person team of humans, one of whom was the Israeli national debate champion. So we're not talking about Mickey Mouse people. We're talking about people who really know how to debate. And the robot held two 
short debates with them, and in fact held its own completely with a little bit of flair. Can you believe it? Even convinced the people in the audience to change their minds. The only thing, the only comment that people in the audience said is that the voice of the computer was a little bit uh, robotic. It wasn't human. But the arguments uh, were unbelievable. I mean, for example, the machine said in its opener in the debate, it said there's a lot at stake today. And it really took the position that society should use and increase telemedicine. But he quipped, this is too funny, this is the computer talking. He says, especially for me, telemedicine is very important. The only problem, he said, is that he can he couldn't say the situation made its blood boil because it had no blood. So, <laughs> so there you have it, a joking machine. But really, it just shows that the strides in machine intelligence, the strides in in, in, in machines have come so far that you can actually debate with a machine and how it works. The mach- these were special algorithms that were written by the, by this crowd in, um, at the technologies team in, in Haifa in Israel from IBM is what they did is they took tons of different algorithms and put them all together, um, and a whole host of other AI techniques that don't exactly explain what, but what they did is they used the computer to go through tons, millions of news and academic articles using algorithms to decide which snippets of text are relevant and argumentative. And then another algorithm cut out repetitions because often you'll find the same thing happens 50 times in the space of a million uh, news articles. And then the voice recognition system listens to the the machine's opponent and actually figures out what the correct thing is. And quite honestly, all the people who sat and listened to this reported back to say that it was actually quite unbelievable. The um, computer itself made intelligent remarks. It argued unbelievably well and held its own against top, top human beings in the in the argumentative space. So we definitely are going to see a huge jump forward And when they get the voice right, in fact, maybe they shouldn't get the voice right. Maybe it's important that computers always sound like computers because I've just warned you not to answer anything on the phone. But imagine you get some smart aleck computer with an attitude and a sense of humor giving you a hard time on on, on the phone. Very difficult to know if you're talking to a machine or a person. And we'll be back straight after this, and I'm going to talk about all sorts of other gizmos and gadgets and some other cool tech when we come back. High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. So anyway, back to uh, some technology. Help me this morning because I promised you guys yesterday and I actually found out something really interesting. My father was one, lives in Parkhurst. He was one of the first guys onto ADSL, off ADSL onto fiber. And he was very lucky. He got a fiber package, 4 meg down, 1 meg up, 20 gig of data for 199 rand a month. Well, unfortunately, I thought that was still available as an entry-level package, and it is not. So the question comes down to the debate. Is it cheaper to stay on ADSL, or is it cheaper to switch across to fiber? And we sat this morning and did a little bit of research, because we were talking about how you do this sort of thing, and we discovered something fascinating. I can categorically state right now that never mind the actual amount, it is cheaper to go, <clears throat> excuse me, it is cheaper to go onto a 4 meg fiber line with a VoIP telephone 
than it is to stay with Telcom's standard offering. And here's how it breaks down. If you've got an ADSL line right now, a standard Telcom line with just all the basics where you still got to pay for your calls and everything is 200 Rand a month. That gives you the line rental. Um, they probably give you a phone for that. But whatever the case may be, 200 bucks a month is where you start. And this is where it gets super, super interesting. If you want a two megabyte per second ADSL line. Now, we had this discussion this morning. Two megabytes is really not good enough for email today. Because think about it this way. You can get an email of a couple of pictures from a friend who took them on his smartphone, and that can be 10 megs of data. So it's going to take you minutes to get a picture coming down because a 2 meg ADSL line means that the line speed at best will be under a meg, give or take. So 10 meg will take 10 minutes or so, 10 seconds, I don't know. It will definitely take an extended time to get a couple of megs of data down in an email. And that costs 166 Rand. So now you've got your telecom line for 200 Rand. You then add the ADSL feature. I don't know if you're to call a feature or a disease at 2 meg. But you add the feature of, of that is 166. And then on top of that, you have to pick an ISP. Now, the ISP is the people who actually connect you to the Internet. So you've got the cable, which is telecom. You've got the ADSL port, which is telecom. Now, you can either use telecom as the ISP, which they're not the cheapest. But the cheapest I could find reputable ISP was 157 Rand. That brings the grand total to get a 2 meg ADSL line noted with a phone line as well. You can make and receive phone calls on that line of 523 Rand. If you wish to up that to a 4 meg line, I mean, we're now talking seriously fast speeds here. 301 Rand is what it'll cost you, which then takes it to 658 Rand a month for a 4 meg ADSL line inclusive of um, your phone line. Now, when you go look at a 4 meg fiber line, a 4 meg fiber line is 509 Rand a month for unlimited, uncapped data. The uh, the 157 Rand was not uncapped at all. I think it was 20, 20 gigs of data. Plus, you add a VoIP telephone. Now, you can pick up from a number of people. I use um, Switchtel, but Vox, tons of guys, uh, MWeb, all of them offer VoIP telephones. What a VoIP telephone simply is, is you can port your number. I've done it recently. I've ported my own number and my father's number onto SIP. In other words, they now become digital numbers. They no longer exist in the physical realm for 45 Rand a month rental. That's it. That's all you pay. 45 Rand a month. You have a, the um, only additional cost is the once off to buy a VoIP enabled or SIP enabled um, phone device. It looks like a normal phone, but it connects to the Internet. The total for that is 554 Rand. So you've got your landline. You've got a four meg uncapped fiber line, which is more reliable and certainly not subject to electricity, things like lightning and whatnot, for 554 Rand. So compared to the telecom offering, it's 31 Rand more expensive than the 2 meg fiber uh, ADSL, but it's 104 Rand cheaper than the fiber, fiber uh, connectivity. So sorry, people, I really apologize. I thought they were much cheaper entry level. But even so, if you have a 4 meg telecom setup, it absolutely, and you have fiber that crosses your your street. Um, initially, there are going to be some setup costs around about two thousand rand for fiber. Though some of the ISPs will give that to you for nothing if you sign up for a twelve or twenty four month contract. 
Um, you will need to get yourself a VoIP phone, but again, a lot of the providers will supply the VoIP phone, will do the port for you, they'll take care of all the nonsense, and they'll switch you across from old copper cables, which tend to fade, crackle, hiss, pop, you name it, um, give you terrible quality over time. Not to say that they all do, but they can. Um, to brand new shiny fiber, which doesn't have any um, prob- of these problems, certainly not at this point, because 90% of the fiber in your area is less than two years old. Something else we just, we talked about and discussed this morning. So my advice is that if you are in a fiber-ready suburb, the time has come to bite the bullet and to upgrade to a equivalent fiber service for now. So if you had a 4 meg ADSL line, get a 4 meg fiber line. If you had a 10 meg ADSL line, get a 10 meg fiber line for now. You'll probably find that as you get used to fiber, you want more and more speed or more and more capacity. Who knows? That's down the road. But RAND for RAND, value for value, you cannot even begin to compare ADSL to fiber. And in fact, telecom have clearly stated that they are going to try to convert as many people to fiber as quickly as they can because to maintain both the fiber network and the old telecom POTS, plain old telephone system. I love that. It's called POTS. But the plain old telephone system and those copper cables is just not commercially viable. The amount of people they've got running around connecting wires, playing up poles, playing with these little cables in boxes is is insane. It makes no sense. So the time people is out there. It's time to go fiber wherever you can. And financially, if you sit down and do the maths, you will save at worst, it'll cost you 31 Rand more a month for a much more stable service. At best, on the lowest end, it'll you'll save 104 Rand. And the benefit, I will say also, is the cost of phone calls. If you spend a lot of time making phone calls and receiving phone calls, phone calls on most of the VoIP providers are between 30 and 40% cheaper than current telecom out of bundle or out of package type setup. So I know telecom offer a lot of really good packages, but truth be told, um, you can get very, very good no package per second billing uh, phone phone call costs, even international on VoIP lines. And the added benefit of VoIP is if you ever move, your number simply goes, you take your phone with you. Plug it into the new place, your number's moved. You go overseas, take your phone with you. (laughs) Your number follows you. Or even better, because we do all have smartphones now, download a little SIP client onto your phone, and you can make phone calls from your landline from your smartphone, again, anywhere in the world, and it's certainly or receive calls anywhere in the world. So welcome to the new tech revolution. And staying with um, uh, telecom for the moment, and this is a perfect segue into my little gadget of the week, which is interesting. Who hasn't heard of Nokia? I'm sure you have heard of Nokia. Now, Nokia, they were the biggest. I mean, at one stage, Nokia had a 57% share of, mo- of of mobile phones globally. I mean, can you imagine being that strong, so big? And um, I'm just being told, I can see on the thing, that I may be wrong at 9 Rand per gig capped and share between three different homes. I may be wrong. Well, uh, I'm sorry. I may well be wrong, but sharing across three homes definitely doesn't uh, – work in my equation. Most homes don't share. But uh, whoever messaged in that, truth be told, you can still share um, a, a single fiber connection across three homes if you run cables or use Wi-Fi or whatever it is. So 
uncapped 4 meg fiber is definitely cheaper than capped ADSL at 9 rand per gig. So uh, I, I, I think there are probably instances where you're going to find that I may be wrong. But I think just generally the benefits of fiber far outweigh the benefits of ADSL. Even if you currently have a super stable, super uh, well-sorted ADSL setup, you will find that with time the fiber will definitely be more stable and certainly you won't have to worry about unplugging your modem during the storm season when the lightning comes and blows up things, which has happened to me on many occasions. With fiber, you just don't have that problem at all. Anyway, moving back to what I was talking about. So Nokia were number one. They they ruled the roost. You, if you didn't have a Nokia phone, you probably weren't in the, in the phone market. The thing is, they were all Symbian-based phones. They were all smart, dumb phones, um, feature phones, as they call them. They had a little bit of browser activity. You could, they, you could download a whole host of little apps. But they were really primitive. And with the launch of the, the, the iPhone 1, which completely changed everyone's minds about a big flat-screen phone, the, and, the, and the reaction of, of Android to that, which came out a year or two later, the, the the smartphone business completely changed, and it took less than five years. By 2012, 2013, Nokia were no longer number one. In fact, they weren't even number two. They weren't even number three. They were quickly fading away to re- irrelevance. Well, the good news is, and I've reviewed their product on the on the show before, but the brand new Nokia range is now available in South Africa. And this is the second refresh. They reintroduced Nokia only about a year ago. Nokia, still made in Finland, still using all the sort of knowledge. And in fact, the smartest thing that Nokia did is that the new, com- the new owners of the Nokia brand, they bought it from, from Microsoft um, because Nokia in Finland sold their brand to Microsoft. All very complicated stuff. But anyway, they bought back the name from um, Microsoft and they've launched a whole range of Android-based phones. Now, some people, the Nokia loyalists, will say that's maybe a little bit like, uh, you know, bad. How could they do that? But the simple fact is Android is the biggest um, smartphone platform on the globe by a huge margin. I think 76% of phones are Android. And I have my reservations about Android in general. But in particular, Nokia chose to do something really, really smart. What Nokia did is go for pure pure Android. In other words, they don't add anything on top. They don't add any launcher. They don't change any of the look and feel. They don't modify the UI. They don't even, apart from one thing, the camera app. The camera app is theirs, and it's certainly enhanced uh, because they work with Zeiss, and I think they've got some really smart stuff in there. But apart from the camera app, every single app on the phone is pure Android. The benefits are, firstly, no heavy memory hogging um, apps and games and stuff that Samsung and all the other guys stick on their phone. Number two, when Android issue an update, all Nokia have to do is to just make sure their camera app works fine. And if it does, they push the update to your phone. So they've promised across from their cheapest Nokia one all the way up to their new Nokia eight, that phone will always have the latest software and it's, I've tried them. I just gave them back, unfortunately, last week. But every single month, because um, Android and Google issue some security updates, every single month, like clockwork, by the 7th, 10th of the month, my Nokia phone had updated timeously to the latest version. 
<coughs> excuse me. And the other benefit of this is very simple. Um, clean, easy to use, no multiple mail programs, no multiple picture programs. Everything is simple and clean. And it actually makes all the Nokia phones incredibly easy to use. And they're pushing really hard. The latest ones are available now. And as I said, our friends at Telcom who realize that maybe they're losing ADSL hand over fist, which is true. They've lost 200,000 landlines in the last year which is pretty significant, down to about 2.9 million landlines in the country. And um, they are offering a really the entire range at, at pretty good prices. The new Nokia One, which uses its, it uses um, the latest version of Android, it's LTE, it's really, uh, I think I mentioned it last week in terms of being one of the good value for money phones out there. You can get it with one gig of data for 150 rand a month which is not a bad deal. They're also throwing in 10 gigs of telecom data. In other words, you have to be on the telecom network. It's not the roaming data uh, because telecom roams on the MTN network. Um, and the 149 rand a month is pretty cheap for a really good phone. But if you want to step up to the new Nokia 6.1, which is my gadget of the week this week, um, you can get that for 269 rand a month. So that's 120 rand more for a very very good, high-quality phone. And if you want to go all the way to the top for them, you're talking about the Nokia 7 Plus for around about 369 rand a month. But my suggestion right now is that you need more than a gig of data. Unfortunately, I think we've moved into the world where, you know, uh, Facebook pictures, if you're doing a little bit of Instagramming, by the time you finish with a bit of social media and a bit of email, one gig of data may not go all the way. My recommendation is that if you sign up for any package, certainly for the next 24 months, you should at the bare minimum sign up for a two gig package. That's just my uh, suggestion. And the reason being is that it's forced 369 for a one gig package, but only 419 rand. So it's, it's less than 100 bucks for a gig for a two gig package. And that makes it really, really good value. Um, there's a whole lot of other stuff because Telcom have been doing a lot of work with around. You get sort of free streaming of music. There's all sorts of other little benefits. But these are all 24-month contracts. And I must say, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it now, but the new Nokia 6.1 and the Nokia 1, I haven't played long with the Nokia 1, but I spent some time with the 6.1, um, are amazing because the 6.1 is their new 5.5-inch mid-range phone. It sells for 3999. We're now not talking high-end phones. And yet, when you look at this device, it's got a full aluminum body, unibody, so it's drilled from aluminum with a, a Gorilla Glass curved screen, which fits flush across it. So the back and the front is glass. The, the frame is, is aluminum. And um, it has a really high-quality screen. It's got a fairly slow processor by high-end standards. But I must tell you, in the, the little bit of time I played with it, it was fast, it was fluid, it was quick. It really didn't uh, lag in any way, shape, or form. The one thing I did try was to play one or two little games. It wasn't great at that. So if you're a gamer, perhaps you need to go for a slightly better processor. But it had more than enough memory, more than enough RAM, and you can, you can increase the RAM with a little card if you want that to store your movies, your pictures, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and generally, very high-quality screen for the price. The camera's a Zeiss camera, which, again, for the price is pretty remarkable. And it worked extremely, extremely well. Uh, and the front selfie camera was quite an 8-megapixel device, was pretty sharp, pretty good. And 
it's absolutely remarkable how um, the various mon- phone manufacturers have brought unbelievable quality into um you know, into the mid-range. And I mean, this is not even the mid-range. For under 4,000 rand or 150 bucks a month for the phone on a contract, you're getting a phone that looks every bit as good as some of the top flagships. There are compromises. The screen resolution is not quite as good as the top Galaxy S9. The cameras are not quite in the same league as some of the top-end units. Um, the screen's resolution is lower. The the processor is definitely slower. You can see there's a little bit of lag when you, you open too many programs, but there was more than sufficient memory. What Nokia have done, has they've brought 90% of the high-end to a low-end device. And um, I see I'm being shouted at. We need to have a quick break for our sponsors. I'll be back with, with to wrap up the Nokia, uh, Nokia 6.1 and 7 Plus review, and we can talk a little bit more about that straight after this. <laughs> Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. Just to wrap up the whole Nokia one and the Nokia setup, the, the new Nokia phones been short on the market, but the quality is right there. They have definitely um, kept the DNA of the original Nokia quality. When you hold these new range of phones, they've upped the quality unbelievably. As I said, it's almost impossible to tell them apart from the other high-end, high-end phones. Not to say that you are getting the same as a, a Samsung Galaxy S9 or an iPhone 8 or an iPhone X. You're not. Those are the very highest level of mobile you know, devices today. So They've got the latest processors. They've got the latest high-quality screens. They've got the latest battery and other technology involved. The Nokia 6.1 is a lot leaner in that regard, but it's got a fast Qualcomm processor, a high-resolution, large, accurate touchscreen, really good cameras from uh, Zeiss in collaboration with Nokia, and some really, and the best thing for me, it's super clean and easy-to-use Android Pure Android, as they call it. And the benefit of that is that so many phones, especially cheap phones, you buy them, they're on an old version of Android, Android updates every year, um, they never update them, some apps then eventually after a year or two stop working, or your security is compromised. Well, with a new Nokia range, you're never, ever going to have that problem. Google themselves, Android, push the Android uh, uh, improvements or updates to the phones, Nokia simply tweak some of the, the, the only app, the phone, the camera app, and make sure that it works. So their the time to update is incredibly quick and clean, and they're part of the Android One uh, sort of agreement, which puts them in the highest level of pure Android that you can possibly get, and it definitely makes a big difference. So now, before I can see, I've been talking too much. <laughs> Our time is pretty much running away from us. I just wanted to make a a little little heads up on on what I did. I know I'm a tech journalist and I spend a lot of time traveling tech, but our friends at Ford invited me to go on the Ford Figo launch. Now, Ford have been making some pretty serious inroads into the market in South Africa and essentially um, have upped their game enormously. And they, they're on a roll. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they launched the new Fiesta. Today, they, well, this week, they launched the new Figo. And 
the the technology side of it, and this is what fascinates me. I, I like cars. I've always liked cars. I like driving fast cars. Who doesn't? Uh, some people don't, but I can't imagine how they exist without driving fast cars. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, the level of technology that's been included in all the new cars is pretty exceptional. Stuff that many years ago, ABS, for example, ABS braking and electronic motor control and all the other safety subsystems that used to be the preserve of very high-end cars, the BMWs, the Mercedes of this world, are now totally standard. I mean, who would even think about not having power steering, um, automatic braking, ABS braking, computer-controlled engines on their car? It's it's unheard of. And all of the stuff is pretty much standard on the new Figo. But they take it one step further than that. They've got a really, really high-end motor, Three cylinder, as I mentioned, with probably the biggest power in its in its uh, bracket, um, and all of that, it really comes across as a smooth, easy to listen. It doesn't sound like it's going to blow up when you're pushing it hard. I was overtaking on the highway uh, at 120, no problem whatsoever. It was an absolute pleasure of a car to drive from that point of view, and it certainly felt a lot bigger. What they've also done is. A standard integrated radio with Bluetooth and a USB slot. And one thing that I found, it's just so obvious that I, I cannot believe that more cars don't do this. On the dash is like a little pod. And what you can do on that pod, you pop it open and you can stick your smartphone in the correct way. You just pop it in there and you put it horizontally and you can do navigation. It's exactly in the right spot. Catches your eye. You don't need any of these funny little arms or or magnetic things and stick them in. It's just brilliant. And at the back of it, so you don't have cables lying all over the 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 car, is a little USB charging port. Or you can even play music through the charging port through the USB port as well. So Ford have really done a bang up job on this new on the new um, the new car. And I was very very impressed with the sheer level of tech. Uh, both mechanically, I'm not uh, I'm not a, a, an a engine guy, but their 1.5 liter engine is really powerful. Has all the latest tech to give it whatever you need, the sort of power and the ease and the smoothness that I I, I was pretty impressed with that. And the best part is that their entry level is under 200,000 rand. In fact, the only version that was over 200,000 was their um, was their automatic at about 205,000 rand. And I know that's a lot of money today, but truth be told, cars have become so expensive that to get a really solid, well-built, full of all the, the gadgets that you need, either hatch or sedan, at around about 200,000 rand, complete with their four-year uh, warranty, is, is pretty good. They also come with a four-year 60,000k service plan. So cost of ownership has been looked at. It's a very, very impressive car in that sort of uh, bracket. So if you're looking at the the sort of entry level, the Polo, the, the new Polo, the, well, the old Polo, but new Polo, um, uh, the Mazdas, all of those, this is a really brand new and very competitive car. And I think it's going to do pretty, pretty, pretty well. Now, moving back to some pure, pure tech, I have to talk about uh, the app of the week. And I don't know about you, but I found that radio can be a little boring. And when I'm spending time in the traffic, I often listen to podcasts. Now, um, our friends at Apple have had a podcast app for years. It's been there. It's simple to use. You can download a whole lot of podcasts. They've 
They've refined the interface to the point where it's easy to find podcasts. And although there were a lot of third-party apps for Android for doing that, uh, I must say that it was always a little bit messy. It wasn't as easy to use. There wasn't one central place to do it. And, and, and they tended to just – it was messy. That's as simple as I could put it. Well, Android themselves have launched a brand-new podcast app, and it should be available right now. All you have to do is look in your Play Store and um, – Oh, I see I'm being chased for another quick ad break. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll break for an ad, and then we'll come back, and I'll tell you how to get hold of the new podcast app and how to use it. I've been trying it for the last couple of days, and I must tell you, I am very, very impressed. FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back, and we're into the sort of useful app side of things. Now, as I said, you know, Apple guys have long had a very cool, easy-to-use podcast app. And in many cases, you know, linear radio, sometimes the music's not to your fa- to your liking. You can use streaming apps to listen to music. But often, when I spend time in the car, it's a great time to catch up on podcasts. In fact, like Tech Talk on High FM, you can download that to your podcasts and listen to that at your leisure and catch up on all the latest gadget news. And when you sit down with your mates, you can be really sound, really smart and know all about the latest Liberty hack, all about the technology in cars, what the latest Nokia phones are. Nothing wrong. Makes you sound really connected to the tech of the day. But on Android, it was always a bit hit and miss. So if you go into Android Play Store and look for the Android Podcast app or Google Podcasts or Google Podcast app, you will find a really clean, simple, easy-to-use app. And I, as I say, I've been trying it for the last few days, and I've really found it to be easily as good as the one that Apple have had for ages. Um, and and it has one added advantage. Even on my iPhone, I tend to use Google a lot. I use Google. Uh, I prefer the Google browser to Safari. I use Google Mail for all my mail. Um, I use Google Drive for all my stuff. So, in fact, a huge part of my online life goes through Google. And for better or for worse, what that has done over the years is build up a massive amount of data that Google has on me. It knows what my searches are. It knows my likes. It knows my dislikes. So where I find Apple's recommendations are sometimes a little off They're a bit random. They don't always make sense. So I've got to then do a little bit of homework, find a podcast I like, look for it, download it. What I found pretty much instantly, being a tech guy, being involved in tech, instantly um, Google, because it knows so much about what I do like, what I don't like, what I search for, what I spend my time on the Internet with, um, it was suggesting podcasts that I'd not thought of, hadn't heard of, and yet were perfectly relevant for what I wanted to listen to. So – the um, it's also got Google Assistant integration. So what you can do is you can say, okay, Google, hopefully my phone doesn't uh, respond. No, it doesn't. Thank goodness. It's a Huawei. Sometimes it's a bit weird when it comes to, okay, Google. Anyway, you can say, okay, Google, um, please find me a podcast about, I don't know, the, the, the mating habits of birds in the in the Kalahari, anything you want. And Google Assistants will go out there, troll the web, come up with the most remarkable findings. I mean, I've said I need to know a little bit about part of the show today 
um, over the week. I planned using that. Sitting in the car driving out to Middleburg yesterday, uh, I asked Google to search for a couple of podcasts, and I listened to them relating to what I wanted to talk about. I asked it about the Liberty Hack. It found a couple of podcasts, or actually found a couple of recordings of radio programs such as these, and it's just a brilliant thing. So if you're into podcasts, and even if you're not and you have an Android phone, um, try it. Have a look for the new podcast app the Google Podcast app, and I think you'll be really impressed. Google's text-to-speech is excellent, so if you use the Google Assistant, it works really well. They obviously talk about AI, but whatever the case may be, um, Google Voice works really well, pretty quick, easy to work, um, and its search and layout and the way that the podcasts download and work Uh, I was very, very, very impressed. So just go to the Google Play Store, look for it, and I think you'll find that that's a big, big improvement on any other way. And as I said, if you hadn't been in the space before, it's a great time to discover how much brilliant content is on the Internet. Rather than listening to music that perhaps is not up to your taste, or maybe just to learn and, and find out more about any subject, and I mean it's ridiculous, you can ask for anything your mind can imagine and there will be a couple of if not a couple of hundred podcasts from experts noted people in the field so you can learn a ton it's better than ebooks it's probably the most remarkable part of the internet that's not as well regarded as many and i think this will help a lot because again on android it was always a little hit and miss it wasn't great but these are fantastic and what i will try to do over the next couple of weeks is recommend a couple of really good clean easy to listen to um, podcasts in the tech space which might you know just help you make the commute a little bit easier now moving on or staying with google um google have also overhauled the old sms app which is quite a big deal now sms Pretty much most of us only use SMS to get notifications from the bank. Um, however, a lot of people have been using seamlessly, especially Apple people, don't even notice. If you use an SMS on Apple and the other person's got an Apple phone, you work, it simply uses the Apple protocol and you don't even pay for the SMS. Well, if you have a look and you've updated your, your apps, that's something you should do a lot more regularly on your iPhone and on your Android phone. You'll find that um, the new the new uh features that have come to um android are really useful it sends links it's much more seamless it works a lot better in many many respects and again they've built a lot of the sort of features that you expect from whatsapp and everything into um your 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 app and on that note i'm afraid i have to wrap it up i'm being chased out of the studio we've got many more great programs coming up right here on high so that is tech talk uh right here on high stay tuned i'm going to have some more gizmos gadgets and tech news every week but uh, we will be broadcasting for our new studios quite soon and that should be super super interesting so on that note thanks so much for listening this is Stephen ambrose for tech talk right here on high fm